Welcome to the Digital Edge with Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway. Your hosts, both legal technologists, authors, and lecturers, invite industry professionals to discuss a new topic related to lawyers and technology. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 78th edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. And I'm Jim Calloway, director of the Oklahoma Bar Association's Management Assistance Program. Today, our topic is the best of legal tech for solo and small firms 2014. We are happy to welcome as our guest, my friend, John Simic. John is the vice president of Sensei Enterprises, a digital forensics, information technology, and information security firm located in Fairfax, Virginia. He is a co-author of the 2014 Solo and Small Firm Legal Technology Guide, Critical Decisions Made Simple, published by the American Bar Association. He has published many other books on technology, security, and electronic evidence. John is a testifying expert and holds many technical certifications. He's also a co-host on another Legal Talk Network podcast, The Digital Detectives, along with his wife and my co-host of this podcast, Sharon Nelson, who is also a co-author of the book. Do I need to diagram that for anybody? (laughs) Thanks for joining us today, John. Thank you much, Jim. Uh, it's weird to be on this side of the microphone, though, not asking the questions, right? It's strange to be a guest. Exactly. And, and I feel very odd a- asking the first question about a book that I co-wrote. So um, I will ask our listeners to kind of keep that in mind. Uh, this is, is of course, a, an important annual update to legal technology, which is why we're talking about it today. But John and I are the co-authors, along with our CEO here at Sensei, Mike Mashke. So maybe the first thing you should tell folks, John, is is why you believe that this book is, is useful to folks who may actually want to purchase it and probably tell them where to purchase it too. Well, it's, it's available at the on the ABA's website, so you can just go there and, and, and do a search for the uh, 2014 Solo and uh, Small Firm Legal Technology Guide. But as far as I know, and I think you, you'd agree with this, Sharon, it's the only guide of its kind that, that we're aware of, specifically targeting solo and small firms and the types of technology that they that they should be using. It does come out annually. And as you know, we were, it's very painful at the last part of the year as we're doing our updates and going through things. And especially as companies acquire other companies and features come in and out of the, the various technology. But we run through pretty much everything that a lawyer would need in their office from servers to computers to networking technologies to wireless to voice applications, utilities, legal software, all those types of things. We we run through all that. The other unique thing is that we're not giving you everything. You're not being overwhelmed by tons of choices. So it's it's sort of the the best of breed that, that we feel anyway. And as pretty much some of the listeners I'm sure know, we're pretty opinionated on some of these things. But it's things that we see every day. Because a lot of our clients as well are, are lawyers, and so the products that they're using, the way they're using them, what they think are, are important, not important. So all that stuff is rolled into, into that book. So that's kind of why I think it's a, it's a very valuable resource for the uh, solo and small firm market. Well, John, I think sometimes I, I, when I used to advise lawyers, I'd think I was doing a great job by giving them eight or ten choices. And now I understand that three choices or two is really what they want. So what would you say is the single most important technology investment that a solo or small firm attorney should make? 
I tell you, Jim, I think, and I've been saying this for years, and I think you, you probably feel the same way, a case management or practice management system. I think that's the single technology that they should use. And the sad part is that we don't see a lot of that in the solo small firm market. And I think it could be so valuable to the attorneys in, in getting their arms around their practice, running their practice as if it were a business, dealing with the efficiencies in, in managing their cases and all the information that, that revolves around that, their, their contact management, their billing, their, you know, capturing that, that billing stuff, uh, creating the invoices and doing all that. But the whole front office to back office and integrating all that stuff, I think, is, is very important. It's just too bad, I think, that a lot of the solo small firms don't seem to jump on that. But I think that is the single most important thing that they should be at least striving forward to, towards. Well, John, as you know, the religious war that we've both been caught in for years is PC versus Mac, um, and we, we have some opinions about that, too. We, we certainly appreciate all of our friends who are uh, Apple fanatics, but there are upsides and downsides to what those machines can do, so maybe you can uh, straighten out the battlefield lines here. Well, yeah, I've got, got my opinions as well about that, but it's, there's some base-level facts. You know, a Mac computer is more expensive than a Windows computer, you know, similarly configured. And then doesn't matter who you talk to, you know, just get your calculator out. You, you can find that out. It's, they are more expensive. Where I think the, the Macs are, are very popular and they're actually a very good solution for, for the uh, solo small firm market is where you do have just a handful of people or, you know, less than a handful, two folks or one or two folks where the Mac can be very, very good and very stable for, these, for the lawyer to deal with it. They don't play well when you're mixing Macs and Windows. You can make them work, but you have to make compromises on how they communicate and, and how you might even be able to access certain files and those types of things. So a mixed environment, I, I wouldn't recommend that at all. And it certainly would be a heck of a lot more expensive to, to maintain that when you have a mixed environment. The issue that Mac users are faced with is there is very, very little legal specific applications for them. So what does that mean? Well, now they're moving to cloud-based services because a browser you can do a lot of things with. And so a lot of the lawyers that are using Macs, they're using cloud-based services in order to get their case management, their billing, or whatever they happen to be doing, contact management, those types of things via the cloud instead of using software that, for the most part, doesn't exist you know, for the, for the Mac in the, in the, legal, the legal vertical anyway. So that's kind of in a nutshell, you know, where they are. The thing where folks say, well, yeah, you should use a Mac because they're more secure. No, they're not more secure. They just haven't been targeted as much. And depending on who you talk to in the security realm, some folks would even say that they're a heck of a lot more vulnerable than a Windows environment. But I think that's pretty much a wash. That's not a reason why you're going to buy one over the other. I think why you would buy a Mac uh, versus a PC, certainly if you're a solo practitioner, is because they, they tend to be more stable. They, you don't have to do a heck of a lot with them or know a lot with them as you would in a Windows environment. Well, that's great, John. And, and as you well know, we're seeing a, a lot of these cloud-based services of all times. And it's kind of interesting to me how we've gone from the cloud being an insider type of thing for technologists to now I see commercials with cloud in them all the time. I got a kick at the other day when a lawyer emailed me saying that he thought no lawyers should use cloud-based services, that it was too dangerous. Of course, he emailed me from his Gmail account. 
<laughs> oh, that, that's a goodie. <laughs> but, John, what is your opinion concerning the cloud-based services for lawyers in the legal profession? I think it's fine. Uh, there are certain things that, that you need to be aware of, though, as you're dealing with the cloud and uh, understanding that what the terms of service are. Certainly the best of the world is if you can encrypt the data and you control that encryption key. Uh, so that the vendor doesn't have it and therefore doesn't have access to it. That would be the uh, the holy grail. But it's not always possible to do that because of some of the, the services that the, um, that the vendors are providing. But I think they're fine to do. You just have to do your due diligence uh, and make sure that there's certain things in place. Some of the key features, I think, that, that folks need to be aware of when they're, when they're dealing with cloud is some of the key provisions anyway within the terms of services. What is a cloud provider going to do should law enforcement show up and demand to have access to the data or all of a sudden they have a, a warrant and they're going to start you know, pulling servers out of their data center and your data might be on a, on a server that you, the bad guys are at, that the feds are looking for or whatever. So what's going to happen in that case? Will the vendor uh, notify you that law enforcement is there and give you an opportunity to file a motion to quash? Those types of things. So I think that's important for a lawyer to understand that um, and certainly to use cloud service providers that will give you, you know, that, that delay, if you will. Microsoft is one of them. You know, with their, their Office 365 product, they specifically say that they will notify the user, the end user, and give them an opportunity to file a motion to quash. But not all vendors do that. I think the cloud is the wave of the future. It is going to go there. I think we're certainly where it's cost affordable for the, the lawyers is to, to run the math and figure out, I'd like to see them actually take their own personal hardware and put it in a data center somewhere so you kind of get the best of both worlds. They can control the, the access, the encryption, all that, but yet have the availability of you know, the, the power and cooling and heating and internet access and those types of things. But I tell you, there's one thing that um, a new, new technology that's just come about, or at least is, is, is in development right now, MIT is working on a test project right now, and there, there's patients that are... Um, testing this website, sending their information to their doctors. MIT calls it Mylar, where they, they take code and they wrap it around the, the data so that it's encrypted all the way. And it's also encrypted through the third-party service providers, through their servers, so that they're not really calling it NSA-proof. <laughs> but I think it's very interesting that for a lot of our cloud service providers, that if this Mylar, quote, Mylar technology takes off and it really is something that's going to be able to, to protect the, uh, the data stream, then it's going to be even better than, you know, f throughout the entire lifespan of, the, uh, of where the data is moving. And then you're not going to be worried about whether or not, you know, the feds or, or anybody or even foreign governments come in there and decide that they want to, you know, take hardware out of a data center because it's, it's going to be encrypted all the way. You know, I think we're, we've been pretty lucky, John, in the last couple of years. We've had uh, Jennifer Ellis, who is a social media maven, uh, and she kindly consented to contribute a chapter to the book on social media because, as you know, one of the things we're asked all the time is, you know, do I really have to do social <laughs> media? Because it just seems like more, more work on top of the work you do, you know, for the billable hour. So uh, how would you answer that? Well, as you know, I don't, the only social media I do is LinkedIn. So I don't do any of the Facebook stuff or any of that other jazz. But, but I think today, certainly, you've got to be aware of social media. And, and we're thankful to Jennifer for her chapter in the, in the book dealing with that. But that's where the fish are. That's where the marketing is. That's where the communication is going to be. The lawyers in particular, though, have to be very aware of their, their ethical duties 
and how they how they use social media, uh, you know, for marketing and what are their their bar uh, opinions about advertising, let's say within Facebook or or any of those types of things. And and certainly you don't want to create that attorney client relationship via the internet, via the you know social media. You know, get them off of that social media and have them make a phone call or schedule an appointment or whatever it is. But I think today attorneys definitely need to be aware of it. They need to be using it and they can use it very effectively in their, in their practice. They just need to be, uh, be aware of uh, what some of the pitfalls are and, you know, read the chapter that Jennifer wrote. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good chapter. John, should lawyers really think about abandoning paper and moving towards a digital law practice? And if so, why? Oh, I think definitely, Jim. It's so much more efficient for them. You know, I know lawyers, they, they love to take their electronic information and, and, and print it out. But, you know, they got to stop doing that. It's faster to find. You can index it. You can search it much quicker. It's, you know, storage costs, et cetera. It's accessibility. We're a very, very mobile environment today. And so everyone has their smartphones. They want to get access to the data. Well, if it's in paper, you're not going to be able to get at it, you know, from your iPad or your smartphone. But if it's electronic, you, you, you stand a fighting chance of getting to it. And I think a, a point you made, Jim, I think it was last year, a couple of years ago, about disaster recovery, the, the electronics and having stuff in electronic form. If, you know, let's take the Katrina, you know, scenario, that disaster, that if everything was in paper, right, which a lot of it was back then, then they lost a lot of that data. But if it was electronic, you have the option of having it stored somewhere else or another copy of it somewhere else, and you can get your practice back up and running very, very quickly because you didn't really didn't lose the data. It's all electronic. So I think all those things really help, you know, get the law firm more efficient because they're not searching for files or whatever. They're not losing data. The one pitfall I think that a lot of lawyers don't even think about when they go, they're going paperless or they're going electronic is the data is really the client's data. So what do you do at the end of the case? They haven't addressed or they haven't thought about, do I have, they probably even haven't addressed it in their retainer agreements that do I just dispose of the data? Do I, copy the data over in the electronic form onto a flash drive or something or you know burn a DVD or whatever it is and give that to the client and then delete it off my systems or whatever so you know that's a piece I think when when lawyers are going paperless that workflow process at the end of a case they don't really give that much thought well, that's something they can ask their bar counsel when they go to these ethics CLEs. And, and an, another thing I wanted to mention, too, is that, you know, we unfortunately, very sadly, lost Ross Codner, who had written our paperless chapter for, for years. But as much as we miss Ross, we're very happy to say that Dave Belinsky, who is very famous in the paperless arena, has agreed to uh, take up the cudgel and, and to write for us on that chapter. So those are the two contributing chapters that we have, social media and paperless. So we're very thankful for, for Dave doing that. So let's pause now for a commercial break, and then we'll be right back. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. 
Welcome back to the Digital Edge on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our subject is the best of legal tech for solo and small firms 2014. And our guest is John Simic, one of the authors of the 2014 Solo and Small Firm Tech Legal Technology Guide, Critical Decisions Made Simple, which I had the pleasure of co-authoring along with Mike Maschke, our CEO here at Sensei. John and I are also married and constantly have to cut out banter between us. <laughs> And we've done that for this session, too. So welcome back with us. And we're going to try not to get into a domestic quarrel (laughs) in the second half of the show. John, in the light of recent data breaches, and I know you and I live this uh, 7 by 24, these data breaches, how concerned should lawyers be with security? I I think the game has really changed and they have to up their game uh, in order to defend their clients' data. What do you think? Oh, I think definitely they, they do. And especially with the revelations of, of Edward Snowden, you know, and what the NSA has, has been doing and is capable of doing. And I think that's that's really, I almost think that we're at the point where lawyers, they're going to need to take some sort of affirmative action and make sure their clients are aware that, hey, there's the NSA has this kind of capability and foreign governments have this kind of capability and do we need to take special precautions uh, you know, when we're communicating, et cetera? Do we have to have these encrypted phones or whatever it is? I almost think we're at that point where I think the prudent lawyer is going to have something within their engagement letter that says that the stuff is not secure and we acknowledge that it's not secure and there's a possibility that it may be intercepted without our knowledge. So if that's a problem, you got to let us know or, or we have to do something different. So I think that's one, one piece of it. I think we're also at the age of where encryption by default, that we should be encrypting everything we can whenever we can in order to, to protect that information. Encryption does work. We do know that they have, there have been some, some weaker encryptions, et cetera, and the cracking capabilities of, of that. But, but we do need to, to be that. And I think we're at that point now where in order to protect uh, the information, it's, it's an encryption by default world. And, and I think the, the last thing I want to mention, and it's, it's attacked, a, I, I know, several law firms we read about in the ABA Journal, too, is, is this ransomware that's been running around, CryptoLocker in particular, or variants of CryptoLocker. And I just read this morning that the developers, if you will, if you call them developers, designers, uh, distributors of CryptoLocker, the original CryptoLocker, now have a product that is specifically targeted toward Android phones. And it's actually locking the Android phones, and it won't let you get off the home screen. So you can't even get to your contacts or any of that, but they're doing the same thing where they're, they're charging uh, ransoms in order to gain access to the information. So that's something I, th- I think lawyers need to be aware of as well and make sure that they've, they've got adequate backups. And you know, besides the fact that they shouldn't be clicking on stuff, they should be <laughs> that, those types of things. But definitely, I think the lawyers have to be very concerned about, about security and, and take some, some steps that they, they haven't been taking over the last uh, couple of years. Of course, John, you know, I'm always concerned that the lawyers will encrypt something and lose their encryption key or lock themselves out by losing their password. So it's important to be careful with those things as as well. That's true. (laughs) Of course, it wasn't that long ago when the idea that you'd carry around in your pocket, you know, a hundred pieces of email correspondence from a a client just didn't happen and you didn't have documents on your phone. So what, what comments do you have about protecting the information that is on today's smartphones? I think it's the same thing, Jim. Encryption's your friend. Make sure that you're encrypting that. If you have an iPhone, uh, you know, make sure you have a lock code on there. The lock code is going to then encrypt the the iPhone. You know, Androids, depending on the the version of uh, 
Android OS you're running. There's a little checkbox. It's built into the, the encryption's built into the, the operating system. Uh, you know, Blackberries have always been encrypted. So, but things like that, that's going to be your friend. Encryption's your friend in protecting the data that's on a smartphone. Make sure you've got a lock code. Like I said, no matter what, whose phone you have on there, make sure that that phone is locked. And also make sure you've got some sort of a, a utility and application that's on your phone that's going to do scans for malware. That, that's on there. And certainly you don't want to jailbreak the phones or root them and, and make sure you get your data only from trusted sources like the iTunes store or the uh, Google Play store. What are some of your favorite, I, I know we're somewhat limited in time, but can you identify some of your favorite tools for lawyers, John? I know we, we're always talking about our new, our new faves. Yeah, I think certainly from a software perspective, I don't know if I call them tools or not, but they're, they're absolute requirements for the lawyer is going to be some, you know, some form of office, whether it's you know, Office for the Mac or, or Office for Windows or, or even Office 365, you know, some form of office. And I know the word perfect folks out there are just probably going to really send me hate mail now, but office is going to be a requirement. Acrobat, you know, the, the ability to generate PDFs, that's also, you know, I think an, another must have. Some of the things that we see and what, what we use, I know you and I both love it, is a, is a product called Simply File, which is a plug-in into Outlook, which kind of has artificial intelligence and it learns where you typically file your email messages. And as you're sending things out or doing or, or answering them or whatever, it'll actually stick them in, a, uh, in, the, in the appropriate folder. So Simply File is a real time saver. You don't have to drag your, your messages around. It automatically is going to stick them there. Snagit, I think, is, as well, is, is, a, is a wonderful tool for lawyers where that's a screen capture kind of program where you can do regions or the whole screen, desktop, or whatever it is, and annotate them if you want. It also has the ability to create a video, too. So you can get this animation through it. So Snagit, I think, is a wonderful tool. And probably the last thing I would say a must-have for a lawyer, and this gets into your comment, Jim, you know, about encryption and don't forget stuff, it's some sort of a password manager. <laughs> We've got so many passwords and so many encryption keys and things, and they shouldn't all be the same. They should be different. So some sort of a password manager like, like LastPass, which is free. That's for websites and, and that kind of stuff. I like a product called eWallet. But it's essentially an encrypted vault where you have one master password to be able to unlock that vault, if you will, digital vault. And with, contained within there is all your super secret stuff. So uh, I think that's an absolute requirement is, is some sort of a password vault. Well, one final question. It seems like this one never goes away, but I meet lawyers all the time who've just discovered this. How should attorneys deal with the fact that many documents, particularly Word documents, contain metadata? Well, there's several ways to do it. You can use the internal functions of Microsoft Office to actually clean the, the metadata. It'll show it to you and you can clean it. It's not totally bulletproof, but it's pretty darn good. Convert to PDF. Converting to PDF gets rid of a lot of metadata, not everything, but certainly most things that you would care about. A couple of products that, that are available too. Um, metadata Assistant is a wonderful product. It plugs into Outlook and the uh, Microsoft Office products and it cleans all that metadata. It can clean and show you all the metadata that's there. It's really designed for a, uh, like a standalone installation, so for somebody's laptop or their computer, et cetera. And then a, a product I really like is by Latera. It's called Metadact E, and it's much more robust. It sits in a server, and it sits between you, your email, and your email provider. So what that, what that means, though, is that if you're retrieving your email off an iPad or your mobile phone, it will also scrub and clean 
those any attachments that have metadata within there. You can configure to do that. It's the only product I know that that will do that off mobile devices and you know and those attachments. But those are just some of the simple ways that that I think uh, and and some of the tools that attorneys could use to deal with the metadata. Well, thanks for bringing us uh, up to speed on that. I know there's always somebody that we run into that doesn't know about metadata. And uh, thanks, John, for joining us today. I think it's it's really important that all attorneys take an annual look at their technology and see what they need to do, what they need to upgrade, and, and just kind of keep their ears attuned to what's going on out there. Um, so it, it was very useful to go through the highlights of the book, John. I think that was great. So thank you for sharing your expertise with us. Well, thanks again and uh, having me on the show. All right, that does it for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers in Technology. And remember, you can subscribe to all of the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on iTunes. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy. Thanks for listening to the Digital Edge, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway for their next podcast covering the latest topic related to lawyers and technology. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.